We have a guest speaker today, um, as you've already heard, as Jim prayed, um, Matt Kinneman. And, and, and having Matt here is always a blessing. He was here ex almost exactly one year ago today. It was uh, November 10th. Today is November 11th and uh, of last year. Uh, December, I'm sorry. December 11th. <laughs> and uh, he was here last December 10th. And uh, but you know when uh, when Matt and Dan come, it's it's um, they're kind of like filling in for Dad. I think is that okay? But they're they're kind of filling in for Dad because because uh, he's still a part of us, and we're you know we're we're in this thing together. So let's welcome uh, Matt. Thank you, Rich. I I didn't think of it that way. That that would be an honor, but I can't. Uh, I won't. I won't claim to be able to, to do that, but it's great to be with you. It really is. I, I know we don't see each other very often, but when I come here, I feel like uh, there's, there's family here for me, too. Um, David, what you said, a lot of things you said, um, you've been here for a while. I, I'm not here much, but my family is members of my family, and, and so it feels like that coming back here. It's great to see you. And... I haven't seen the church, this church building for a while. It looks great. It really looks terrific. I was happy that there was a joke about the fish this morning, Chris, because you're supposed, it's always good to come with a joke when you speak, and I didn't have a joke today. So now you filled in, and I got it. You want to tell it again? No, just kidding. And David, I wanted to mention that the prayer, the really great prayer that you told us this morning when you mentioned how you prayed when you came here, Lord, take care of me, I'm scared. We all, can, we all need to pray that every day, I think, Amen. in the realities of, of life that we face. And it's always important to, I think, to thank Rich, because having a pastor who is true to God's word is a rare thing today in the churches of our country. And you have one here. And that's to be... That's a cause for thanks. I, I ran into a friend here this morning, and I asked him how he was doing, and he said, better than I deserve. And I thought, yeah, me too. It's kind of why we're here, right? So we're going to look at God's Word. I have a couple things that I'd like to share with you that I hope will be encouraging. At 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, this is a short reading, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. was written by the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians as a prayer for their lives. And it says a great deal in a short number of words. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. There's a, there's a verse that's very complementary to this, a scripture back in Philippians. You don't have to look it up right now, and I'll refer to it a couple of times, but it's Paul again writing of his confidence that God has his purposes moving in a safe and secure and sure direction. And what Paul said in, in the first chapter of Philippians 
in the very introductory words of that letter that he was confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So I have a question for you. Do you have any problems? We have, we all start out with some really big problems. We start out with the problem of alienation from God. We start out with the problem of desolation that is being lost and without hope in the world because of our alienation from God. We start out with this lack of completion in our lives and we're always trying to get something we, we, we know we don't have. And there are a lot of other kind of problems, but most of them stem from those three. Sir Edmund Hillary, famous mountain climber, one of the most famous of all time, he had a problem. He needed to get to the top of Mount Everest, more than 29,000 feet above sea level. In 1952, he set out to climb Mount Everest, and he didn't make it. And even though he came up short of the summit, he was still treated as a hero in his home country of England. But he saw the expedition as a failure. Even so, he accepted an invitation to speak, and he faced a packed hall. And as the story goes, he saw a picture of Mount Everest that had been placed there in the auditorium. And he faced the picture, and he raised his fist at it. And he proclaimed, Mount Everest, you beat me the first time, but I'll beat you the next time because you've grown all you're going to grow, and I'm still growing. And the next year, 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary planted a British flag at the summit of Mount Everest. For him, the first defeat, he knew it wasn't over just because it didn't work out. He persevered. Now, I bet he was very thankful to have succeeded. But is that the only time we're supposed to be thankful? When we succeed? Obviously not. Do we give thanks only when things are going well for us? Well, well no, obviously not. If that's what it's all about, we would, we'd, be, we'd be treating God as, as some kind of a cosmic genie who's there to give us what we want. And we would, we would turn really into the kind of people we don't want to be. We'd be just selfish beggars expecting God to give us what we want. W.H. Auden, the poet, pointed out that when praying, we ought to quickly get past the begging part and get on to the gratitude part. So Sir Edmund Hillary had a problem. You know, St. Paul, he had more problems than Sir Edmund Hillary. Just listen to this as, as, as Paul told the Corinthians some things he thought they needed to understand about living this new Christian life they had all embarked on. Paul described things he had been through, and he said this, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, Dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, 
there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. That's the same man who wrote these words, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now I know it's Christmas, not Thanksgiving, but think about it. What's the appropriate response to having received a gift? Thanksgiving. It's interesting, Jesus received three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Remember those, remember those original problems that we, were, we come into this world with? That incompleteness, alienation, desolation. And we've received gifts now through Jesus Christ that answer those things. We've received the culmination of our help, hopes. We're no, we're no longer incomplete. We've received reconciliation. We're no longer alienated. We now have celebration instead of desolation. And all of those, those three can all be summed up in one great gift. Thanks, one, great, one great statement about God's great gift to us. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So it's important to be thankful. We know it's important to be thankful. St. Paul was thankful through those things. But you know, it's also important that we, we don't stop there and just say, okay, I need to be thankful and, and, and see the Christian life as, a, as an experience of just gritting our teeth and being thankful even though everything stinks around us, right? Yes, we're supposed to be thankful in all circumstances, but, but I think we'd be making a mistake and missing some of the important things Scripture teaches us if we only see that we're supposed to be thankful and force our way through that thankfulness. No, there's something more. There's hope. There's encouragement. Remember our original Scripture this morning. There's a secret in the Christian life, and it's not that big of a secret because it's all over Scripture. It's every place in Scripture. And that is the Christian life is always one of, hold the thought for a minute. Go back with me in time to 1974. The Watergate, Watergate crisis had split our politics, to, was, a, was, a, was a bad time in our nation, it had destroyed the presidency of Richard Nixon, and by August of 1974, August 9th, he resigned as president. He reached a point more low, as measured by disgrace and defeat, than it's almost imagine, um, imaginable to, to see get any worse. He was absolutely at the bottom of circumstances that could even be thought of as possible for a president of the United States. He resigned his office in absolute disgrace. Everybody watched the resignation speech on the night of August 8th. But, a, but another speech followed on the morning of August 9th, just before the noontime deadline for his resignation. And this was a speech that's largely lost to, human his, uh, to U.S. history, but it remains one of the great extemporaneous spontaneous presidential speeches that's ever been given. This was when President Nixon spoke not to the nation, but he spoke one last time in a room not much different from this size to a group not much larger than this, his staff. A totally disgraced president in whom all of them had put their trust, saying goodbye, farewell, and it's, it's known now today as Nixon's farewell speech. You can find it. But here's, here's the reason I bring it up. I'm not positioning Richard Nixon this morning as a prophet of God, 
But he had an insight in that speech, which is really important to us as followers of Christ. He was trying to sum up this moment of crisis and defeat and disgrace. And he found, a, he found a small spark of light that he shared with his staff. And here's, here's the words he spoke. We think sometimes when things happen that don't go the right way. We think that when you don't pass the bar exam the first time. We think that when someone dear to us dies. We think that when we lose an election. We think that when we suffer a defeat that all is ended. Not true. It's only a beginning, always. It says in the 40th Psalm, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Wherever we are, in our journey. And not every day is a good day. It's only a beginning. Always. Sir Edmund Hillary had problems. Richard Nixon had problems. You know who else had problems? William Bradford, the first leader of the Pilgrims, the first governor of Plymouth Plantation. Now, you know the story about how they didn't know if they could even set out from England. And then they needed to sail this small group of people on this small ship across an ocean that was uncharted. They didn't know where they were going to land. In fact, they landed far a different place from where they thought they had, hoped, where they had hoped to. When they got there in November, there were no McDonald's. There was no Hampton Inn and Suites. There was just an empty shoreline with the winter coming in. There were no houses. There was nothing and no place to go. And half of them died that first, that first year, that first winter. But William Bradford kept a diary. And listen to some of the things he said spanning those days. They knew they were pilgrims. So they committed themselves to the will of God and resolved to proceed. Being thus arrived in a good harbor and brought safe to land, they fell upon their knees and blessed the God of heaven, who had brought them over the vast and furious ocean and delivered them from all the perils and miseries thereof, again to set their feet on the firm and stable earth, their proper element. And at that point, that brief respite, then they entered their greatest time of struggle, the greatest time of, 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 of death and decimation. And then Bradford writes, as they come through that time, behold now another providence of God. A ship comes into the harbor. Another ship arrived with provisions and then began to follow success in Plymouth Plantation. And here's how Bradford summed it up. Thus, out of small beginnings, greater things have been produced by his hand that made all things of nothing and gives being to all things that are and as one small candle may light a thousand, so the light here kindled hath shone unto many, yea, in some sort, to our whole nation. Out of small beginnings came these great things. It's only a beginning, always. 
I'm going to read some of the verses that William Bradford referred to from Psalm 107. And listen, listen to them as I read them. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. And gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, they wandered in a wilderness in a desert region. They did not find their way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way to an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men, for He has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul He has filled with what is good. It's only a beginning, always. Do we give thanks because we live in a perfect world? No, we give thanks simply because we worship and follow perfect God. We give thanks because... The same God who guided the pilgrims over stormy seas is the same God who guides us. You might have heard the hymn that refers to God unchangeable, immutable, God only wise. God our Father, the same God who sent His Son to save us, His Spirit to fill us, and it's in Him that we live and move and have our being which means that in Him, it's only a beginning, always. It's always a new day. It's always a fresh start. This is why we give thanks, because for the Christian, everything is always being made new again. Ever since the Garden of Eden was lost, our need has been to me made new again. And that's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. God's Word, God's Word tells us in that same sense, he will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. How will he do that? We don't know. Here's the, here is the amazing part of this. We won't know until we see it made plain to us. So we have faith. But while, while God is working out newness and fresh beginnings and bringing us from the mud and the mire to putting our feet on a rock and having a firm place to stand, we don't see how He's doing it until we can see it. He who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And this is, this, is why I, this is why it's so amazing, because it's in the unseen things that God's most amazing attributes and the most awesome and awe-inspiring realities become evident. Now, in the study of physics, which is advancing, by the way, at a very rapid pace into new frontiers. But it's all in areas, frontiers, that are largely invisible. No matter how hard we try to see them, which only makes what's happening in the study of physics today and in recent decades all the more amazing. 
most of what's going on, nobody can see. It's becoming clear to physicists that most of what occurs in the universe is invisible. Let me, let me explain a little bit of what I mean. Think about a, what, what we call a macroscopic object, a chair or a dog or a cat. Everything we see around us that we can see and, and identify macroscopic objects, they're made of smaller things, right? We know they're, they're made of molecules, and the molecules are made of atoms. Once upon a time, scientists thought that the atom was, was, the, was the smallest thing. We now know, we've known for a long time, that's not the smallest thing. I'll tell you some things that are smaller than the atom, but first, to, to think about how crazy but wonderful it is, to picture the scale of an atom proportionally, think about a baseball in, place a baseball in the middle of an empty major league stadium. That's proportionally the size of the nucleus to the orbit of the electrons in the atom, would be the outside perimeters of the stadium. An atom itself is almost entirely empty space. But when we get down to the nucleus of the atom, we have protons and neutrons. Then scientists thought those protons and neutrons were, were the smallest particles, along with the electron. The electron can't really be identified by a size. But the, turns out the protons and the neutrons are made of something smaller called quarks. And so the way it stands today, we think that there are three elemental particles, the electron and and, and, and two different kinds of quarks, that the quarks combine to make up the protons and neutrons, and that's the nucleus of the atom, the electrons orbit the atom, and, and then the chemistry of the atom, as you know, depending on the number of electrons and number of protons and neutrons, makes it the atom that it is. Atoms shouldn't even exist. The electrons, as they orbit, should lose energy so rapidly that they instantly crash into the nucleus and the atom ceases to exist. Isn't that, it's, it starts to point right back to the Word of God, which says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. You know that the quarks can't be separated. There are, there are two quarks together in, in each of these structures, but they can't be separated. They cannot be, they cannot be isolated. And so physicists call this this. Whatever it is that binds the quarks and they can't be separated, they call it the strong force. I don't know where it comes from, but the strong force, I hope you find this amazing. The strong force, it doesn't dissipate with distance the way gravity does or the way electromagnetic forces do. The strong force stays constant with, with distance from the things. If you try to pull quarks apart, you can't, you can't get it done by, well, if we can get them a little bit apart, the strong force stays constant it doesn't fall off. You know, there's something else very strange when we think about he holds all things together. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Go back to the electrons for a minute. You know, if a, if a particle decays and two electrons that were together spin out of this particle, you know that as those electrons separate, Physicists have discovered quite some time ago, many decades ago, but it's been verified again and again, that a measurement on one of those electrons 
although they're now separate. A measurement on one of those electrons will cause a change in the state of the other electron instantaneously. And this has been verified across distances of several miles now, that a measurement on this electron instantaneously results in the difference in the state of the other electron, as if they're still connected somehow. Einstein called that spooky action at a distance. The Christian can look at it and take a satisfaction and a confidence in knowing that as physicists discover more and more about the amazing unseen nature of the things which make up the universe in which we live, that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I want to, I want to mention to you one more thing in, in, that's going on in physics, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. This may not be the end of it, because there's still some problems that aren't reconcilable between this area of what's called quantum mechanics and, 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 the, and, and the, the, the theories of general relativity and special relativity. There are some conflicts in physics that haven't been reconciled yet. You may have heard of string theory. And this is the, this is the newest brave frontier, and it holds a lot of promise in physics. But physicists look for a, a unifying theory that doesn't have contradictions. And string theory appears that it may be it. But here's, here is the coolest thing I've heard. Coming out, of, coming out of all of this topic. Maybe it's not quarks and electrons that are the smallest particles. It might be smaller little strings of pure energy that are 10 to the negative 33rd length of, I have to go back to the reference on that, but, but, but small, 10 to the negative 33rd is the Planck length, and, the, and these strings of energy can exist in 11 different mathematical dimensions. Not the four that we know of. We know of four because we've got the three plus, plus time and space, the time, but the time-space curvature. But, but, but these strings actually are tuned in each of the many cases they can be tuned to to make up every other particle that makes up all of reality the way a violin string would be tuned to a note. Which means, if that's true, God is actually playing out his plan with music. He's, he's conducting an orchestra of all of reality according to his purposes. But wherever we look in physics, here's, here's the point that we want to walk away with. There are, some, there are amazing purposes being worked out for us in the unseen. God has all things under his control. So remember a year ago, we talked about you might get discouraged, but don't be discouraged. Connect that to what we're talking about today. It's only a beginning, always. You're still growing. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. He who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion. 
In 2 Corinthians, we read, He is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You're still growing. It's only a beginning. Always. So now, may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. In the unseen things, God is working out His purposes for you in a way that will bring you not only to a good ultimate end in Him, but what lets, which lets each one of us go forward knowing that for the Christian, everything is always being made new. Today and tomorrow, it's only a beginning. Always. The Christian life is always about moving forward. That's why, that's why Paul wrote to the Philippians, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and pressing on toward what is ahead, straining toward what is ahead, I press on to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So we're confident of this. He who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Don't be discouraged. It's only a beginning. Always. Amen.